If you have your Bibles, uh, take them open to uh, Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in verses 43 to 45 today. Uh, yeah, if you notice, this pulpit's a bit short. I asked Matt if we could raise it up, but he said he would just look too short when he did announcements, so <laughs> we just keep it down there, so it's okay. If you've been with us, you know that we are uh, going through uh, the Gospel of Luke. We are in uh, chapter 6, so we're going to be just looking at three verses today, verses 43 uh, to 45. Uh, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching uh, to his disciples and followers. He's been uh, giving them uh, some moral exhortations, things like uh, love your enemies, uh, pray for those who persecute you, uh, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. And we've seen these really uh, difficult things that Jesus has called us to. Uh, so what's important for us to understand is what he says next today. And he says, all those external things that I've called you to, everything you do externally actually comes out of your heart. And so I've titled this message, The Heart of the Matter. And Jesus, what we're going to see is he's going to give us a universal principle about how things uh, operate in our life and our heart. And then he's going to, but before he does that, he's going to give us two illustrations, two analogies that help us understand that universal principle. So if you have your Bibles, uh, chapter 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So we're going to look at this text in uh, three points today. We're going to look at first, what is the connection between our life and our heart? Then we're going to look at the problem of our heart. And lastly, we will look at the solution to our heart. So, connection between life and heart, problem of our heart, solution of our heart. So, I pray, and then we will jump into point number one. Uh, Lord, we are just thankful uh, for this time to just meet together and hear from your word. So, I pray, as, uh, as your word goes forth, uh, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us hearts that want to understand and follow you more? And would you help us to see you as great and wonderful as you are? And we pray this in your name. Amen. So point number one, there is a connection between our life and our heart. This is uh, Jesus' point that he's making in his first kind of illustration, verse 43. He says, for no tree uh, bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. So the point here is fairly simple. If you have a good tree, it's going to bear good fruit. It's not going to bear bad fruit. It's not going to bear rotten fruit. If you have a bad tree, though, if you have a diseased tree, an unhealthy tree, that type of tree is not going to bear good fruit. So what we see then is that the fruit is a barometer to see the goodness of the tree. If the fruit is rotten, we know the tree is rotten. If the fruit is good, we can tell that the tree is good. So Jesus then doubles down on this in the next section, verse 44. He says, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. He's using another illustration just to say that a, a bramble bush is not going to produce a wonderful fruit like grapes, right? You know the type of tree is by, by the fruit, right? Those, those two things are not connected. They're not going to produce that type of fruit. So then he's going to take these and he applies it directly to us in our hearts and the words that we say. Verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
So Jesus is saying, in essence, that what we say and do is a result of what's already in our heart. And he's saying that there is a causal link then between what is in our hearts and the things that we say and we do. And ultimately, our, our actions, our words, are the fruit by which we can test what our heart is like, just like the tree and the fruit. And so the question for us then becomes, okay, well then, uh, am I bearing good fruit or bad fruit? Right? Where are we on this spectrum of fruit we're producing? Because it says a lot of, then about where our hearts are at. So I think when we start to examine our lives, it's sometimes difficult to say, though, because we feel like we produce a lot of good things. We do good things for the most part. But all of us can say that there's times where we've hurt people. I mean, we can probably think of a time this week where we've said something we shouldn't, something that caused someone some pain. Right? Maybe even this morning. And our tendency in those times when we do hurt people is to dismiss those things as not really being us, in a sense, right? Maybe you, you've done this. You've said something that was hurtful. Uh, you've told a lie. You've done something you know you shouldn't have, and you walk away from that situation, and you go, oh, man, like, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't really me. But Jesus is saying, actually, it is. Actually, that is you. That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Because our biggest danger is that we regard all the good works we do as being typically us. But all the bad things we do, that's, that's not really me at all. Right? When we're encouraging, when we're, we're doing good things here, that's, that's who we really are. But then when we do bad things, when we gossip behind people's back, when we burst out in anger at our kids, man, that's not really me at all. So my question then is, what is the bad fruit in your life that you're ignoring? What is the fruit that you don't like to think about? Is it those lies you tell that you think won't add up to anything? Is it the attitude maybe you have towards your family? Those offhanded jokes you make in the office? And maybe, maybe you're sitting there now and you say, okay, David, I'm with you. I, I agree that I... I do do things that are hurtful. I speak in ways that I shouldn't. But that's not really uh, me. That's not why I say that. There's, there's situations. There's people around me. Those are what make me say the things that I do, right? If you, if you only knew how crazy my kids were, then you would know why I get so angry at them, right? If you only knew the stress and the pressure that I'm under, then you would know why I said the things I said. Let me respond with an illustration that I heard once. It's an object lesson. So I got this water bottle. Why did water come out? Because I shook it. I shook the water. What, what if I rephrase the question? Why did water come out? Because water was inside to begin with. See, when the circumstances of our life shake us, what comes out of us was what was inside already. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. It's really tempting to blame the situations, to blame other people around us in our life for the things that we say and do. But Jesus is saying, no, actually, those things are just an opportunity for your heart to reveal itself. 
This doesn't mean that we aren't sinned against. This doesn't mean that bad things aren't happening to us. But what it means is in those situations, what comes out of our mouth is what was inside of us already. So this is what we see Jesus saying in our text. There is a connection between our life and our heart. That out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So my question is, what comes out of your mouth? What is the abundance that overflows in your life? Is it anger? Pride? Jealousy? And what do those things, what do those fruit evidence about your heart? Well, I hope we start to see that the evidence there's actually a problem of our heart. That's our second point. That there is a problem with our heart, right? The fruit in our life bears witness to it. It's the barometer that says, actually, there's something wrong inside of us. And our natural tendency is to not deny this. We say, well, maybe there's something wrong, but it's just behavioral. It's external to me. It's not internal. Right? But in the words of New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he says, moral reformation, this is trying to change our behavior, moral reformation, which leaves the heart untouched, is about as useful as tying bunches of grapes onto a bramble bush. Right? Do you see the picture? We're trying to change the outside. We're trying to change the fruit, but without changing the tree. It's not going to work. We're not getting to the heart. We're not getting to the root of the problem. So I remember uh, growing up in Edmonton, uh, we would have a field, or a big backyard, that seemed like a field full of dandelions. So you know, dandelions have got the, we got a picture? Hook me up, Josiah. I love it. So the dandelions, the, the, uh, Fluffy ones, right? The, 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 the favorite thing to do is to blow them. <laughs> Everywhere, right? So as a kid, that's what you do. You go pick up all the things and you blow them all over the backyard. Uh, then we end up with a field full of yellow dandelions. So my parents thought it would be a good uh, lesson for me to learn to then uh, have to pick up all the, the dandelions and pluck them all out. So what I would do is uh, I would just go around and just pluck the heads off, the dandelions. Just pluck, pluck, pluck. But as you know, that, that doesn't work. Dandelions are this really resilient weed. There's weed that you can't just take the top off. You need to get the root of it, right? And, and I think we have a picture of the roots as well. You see that the, their, their root is really, really long. It goes deep into the ground. And the thing about dandelions is if one part of that root comes off while you're pulling it out, if any part stays in the ground, that dandelion will actually just regrow from that root. Our sin is just like that dandelion. We can't be content to just pluck the head off of our sin. We can't just deal with the fruit, with the behavior. We need to get to the root. We need to make sure we pull out the whole root and not leave any left. Right? Maybe this is something you, you've tried to do. You've tried to just change the behavior in your life. Right? You said, okay, I'm just going to st stop being so angry with my kids. You know, I'm just going to try and stop watching porn. I'm going to just, just be more honest Right? And we try and change the behavior, the surface level. But what happens in those situations? You, you might have success for a time, right? But ultimately, that sin is going to come back because you haven't dealt with the root. See, Christianity is not a 12-step plan to a better life. 
It's not saying, here's some things you need to change about your behavior, about the way you act in order to be a better person or to be right with God. Christianity says at the heart, at the root, there is a problem of your heart. And that problem needs to be addressed. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 speaks of this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, the biblical understanding of our heart is that our hearts are not sick because we sin. We sin because our hearts are sick. Our hearts are the cause of the sin in our life. And that's what we see Jesus pointing out in our text today. He now turns to talk about our treasure. He says, verse 45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus is saying, there's this, these treasures, these things that we value, and out of that is the abundance that flows our life. So, so how does this work practically, right? So if, if your treasure, if the thing you value most is career advancement, say, then that's going to bear fruit in your life. But the problem is not all of that will be good fruit right? It, you may be prone to neglect your family. You may be prone to lie in order to get ahead and achieve that ultimate treasure in your life, right? And, and anything can be a, a treasure for us. It can be um, success, money, sex, family, sports, politics, anything. It's these good things that become ultimate things. They become these, the, the objects of our highest affections, we kind of worship them in a way. And when we do that, they become, in a sense, our God, an idol, right? And if you're new in the church, maybe idol is a, a new phrase for you, but it, it doesn't just refer to a statue or an image. It refers to a thing that, is, that we put in the place of God, a false God. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. These are the evil treasures in our life. These things that we put in the place of God. And they bear fruit in the way that we act. So for example, for me, uh, the treasure of my heart is approval. I really want people to like me and think well of me. And the way that bears fruit is, for example, so you know I'm involved in here at the church and as well in school, so sometimes I work from home. And as I'm doing that, my kids will run into the room and they'll distract me. They'll do things that I'm not able to work or there'll be family obligations that have got to take me away from my work and school. And in those times, I tend to get really upset with people, with my family, with my kids, because my idol is approval. And when they take me away from what I'm doing, I'm not able to do it as well. And I know that my mentors, my teachers are not going to think as well of me. Another example, I was giving a, a sermon for the youth here a couple weeks ago in Romans chapter 3. And as I was putting it together, uh, really struggling to find how all the pieces kind of fit together. And about three hours before I'm supposed to give uh, this sermon, uh, I basically have nothing written down. Uh, like ideas scattered all about. And uh, I call my wife in a, in a panic, being like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to get up in front of these youth and I have nothing to say. And and I was, I was physically shaking because I was so scared of what was coming. 
See, the idol of my heart was controlling the way I was acting. And I found that much of the sinful patterns in my life emerge when those treasures in my life are being threatened. So what is the treasure of your heart? What is the thing that you value most? Right? What are the things that you spend your money on? What are the things you daydream about? When your mind wanders, where does it go? What provokes in you uncontrollable emotion? Right? When the idols in our heart are threatened, it produces emotion. Like, uh, unanswered prayer is a great example of this. If, if you have an unanswered prayer about something you don't really care that much about, we usually shrug it off. But when God doesn't answer your prayer about something that's really important to you, what happens? You get mad. You get indignant, angry even, at God. So what is the treasure in your life that, when threatened, produces uncontrollable emotion? Tim Keller, in his book, uh, kind of gives four main idols that he talks about underlie uh, these often surface idols in our life. There's deeper idols, he says. And he says these are uh, approval, power, control, and comfort. And I just want to spend some time looking at these together because I think it's important that we identify those things that are, that are in our heart and controlling the way that we act. So you may resonate with uh, one of these really strongly. You may resonate with all four in some senses. So approval. Is, is approval uh, the desire of your heart? Like me, perhaps you desire acceptance, approval, praise from other people. And then uh, when people reject you, do you feel uh, depressed and hopeless? Is control the desire of your heart? Should be in charge of everything, you know, in your life and in other people's lives. Right? You're the helicopter parent that wants to make sure everything is exactly the way you want it. And then when things feel out of your hands, uh, there's a lot of worry and anxiety. Is power the treasure of your heart? Do you desire influence and responsibility over other people and things? And then when things don't go your way, you get angry. Is comfort maybe the desire of your heart? Do you just desire the easy life? Right? So as soon as pain, difficulty enter your life, that's where you start to feel discontentment. That's where emotions start to surface. And our goal is, as we examine our hearts then, to prayerfully ask God to reveal to us those deeper idols in our life, those treasures of our heart. So we've seen there's a connection between the fruit of our life and our heart, right? And that fruit bears witness that there is a problem of our heart. And that brings us to our last point, that what is the solution then to our heart? All right, we've seen the problem. We, we've seen there's something wrong. We need our hearts to change. But how? How do we get rid of these treasures that are so deeply buried within us? Well, the problem of our heart is not something we can change on our own. Right? We need something outside of us to do that. And that's the good news of the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus came and lived the life perfectly. 
He died on the cross so that he could purchase for us that new heart. Right? God promises this day to Ezekiel, his prophet, when he says, there's a day coming, I'm going to cleanse my people from idols by giving them a new heart. Look with me at Ezekiel 36. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and, from, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we see this new heart, this new spirit is for the purpose of obedience. The reason God is giving us a new heart is so that we can bear good fruit, right? Lasting fruit, not just temporary change, but fruit that will last and endure. And, and if you're, you're a Christian here, that, this is already true of you. God has put his spirit in you and he is at work in you creating good fruit. And if you wouldn't identify as a Christian here, I hope you've seen today that the fruit of your life would bear witness that there is a problem with your heart. And my question to you would just be, what in your life then do you have that will be able to change your heart? Not just bring that surface change, not just bring that temporary change, but to bring a lasting change. Right? Because if you're just trying to change the behavior, if you're just trying to change the fruit, you're tying grapes onto a bramble bush, and sooner or later they're going to fall off. If you want a changed life, it begins with a changed heart, and the only person who can give you that is Jesus. So hope, the hope for non-Christians and for Christians is actually the same. Our hope is in the cross. Our hope is that what Jesus has done for us has given us a new heart and new desires. And so you will say, well, that sounds great in theory though, David. That sounds, that sounds wonderful, but I've been a Christian for years. And I don't feel like that. You say God has given me a new heart. I don't see it. I still struggle with those things. I still struggle with power, approval, control. And I would just say, me too. Me too. But the wonderful thing about God giving us a new heart is that he begins to change those desires. Not instantaneously, but slowly, over time. Right? He begins to change what we treasure. Look with me again at verse 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. So what is this good treasure then? What is the treasure that God is going to work in us? Well, if the evil treasure was anything other than God, then the very best treasure is God himself. It is Jesus. You see, to replace uh, our evil treasures with another is not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of just trying harder, but it's allowing another treasure to take its place. Right? If you have your favorite movie, it doesn't stop becoming your favorite movie until another movie has taken its spot. Right? The evil treasures in our life are not going to diminish until we see that Jesus is the far greater, grander, and better treasure than anything those could offer us. Our men's group here is just a wonderful illustration of that. We have a men's group here, if you're not aware, that it's a freedom from pornography group. And these men, they, they are willing to come and say, yeah, there is some fruit in my life that I would like to be rid of. But the goal is not just willpower. It's not just trying harder. There is accountability, but that's just a tool. The men uh, meet together and they recite scripture that they've memorized throughout the week. 
These men throughout the week are memorizing and meditating on the truths of the gospel. They are thinking on who Jesus is, what he has done for them, and they are praying that God would allow him, them to see him as a far greater, grander treasure than those other things that they desire. And that is where they will find true and lasting freedom. So the solution is not to work harder, but to see Jesus instead as the ultimate treasure. Colossians 3 talks about this. It talks about uh, seeking the things that are above, seeking Christ, and it says we should do that because of what's true of us already in the gospel. And it also says, then therefore we will uh, put to death the things that are earthly in us. I'll read it for you here. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So I just want to take a moment to apply the gospel then to our situations, to some of these idols that may be in our life. How is the gospel then good news for us? Well, if approval is the treasure of your heart, the gospel says you need to remember that Jesus was despised and rejected so that you could be approved. Not because of you, but in spite of you, and that one day you will receive that ultimate approval when you stand before him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. If control is the treasure of your heart, the gospel says we need to remember that there is one who is in ultimate control. And in that control, he decided to save you. And we now entrust control to the one who not only saved us, but promises that he will work everything together for our eternal good. If power is the treasure of your heart, remember that in your desire for power, you are trying to be like God, yet the God of all power became like you. He became a servant to die for you on the cross. The all-powerful became powerless. But he did not stay that way, but was raised to life so that he could send his spirit to now empower you not to do your works, but to do his. If comfort is the treasure of your heart, the gospel reminds you that although Jesus, before the foundation of the world, had the ultimate comfort in the Trinity, he left that comfort to enter the discomfort of our world, filled with pain and suffering. He died the most uncomfortable death imaginable. Why? So that you could share in the comfort of eternity with him. Do not be satisfied with the comfort of this world. There is a far greater comfort coming. These are the treasures that are true of us in the gospel. These are the treasures that we need to remember, think on. I remind you of the parable Jesus told his disciples. He said, there was a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. He sold all the other treasures so that he could have this treasure. Can I challenge you? Sell your worthless treasures because you have found the greater treasure, Jesus Christ. Think on this treasure. 
Take this treasure out. Look at it often. Hold it up to the light. See its beauty and glory. Don't bury this treasure in the sand. Hold it up for the world to see. The wonderful thing about our text is it provides assurance for us that if we have good treasures, if we store up good treasures, it will bear good fruit. We, we have this picture of a beautiful garden flourishing with life because our heart is right. Right? If you have been a Christian, you can look back and you can see that God has been at work. Fruit takes some time to grow. Right? You may not see that change right away, but you see the fruit that God is starting to grow in your life. If, if you were here last week, we baptized eight people. What a wonderful picture of how God has changed the heart and changed the life of these people. Some of you know Jude Bateman. She was baptized here last week. I asked her if I could read a little bit of her testimony, just to share with you some of the change that God has done in the life of one of the members here at our church. She talks in her testimony about how she would attend church regularly on Sunday, but Monday would just go back to the same life of sin. That outside everything looked okay, but inside there was a struggle. She knew that everything wasn't right in her heart. And eventually it leads to her and her husband uh, being separated. And then in her, in her testimony, she writes this. But God who is rich in mercy. He saved me and rescued me out of my life of sin. One Sunday during our separation, we went to church. I heard the message. The preached truth caused me to confess and repent of all my sins. That day, 15 years ago, I received forgiveness, grace, and mercy at the cross. By the power of God, I was transformed. I know now that I received a heart of flesh that day in place of my stone heart. I began to voraciously read and study my Bible. I prayed as if for the first time in my life. I received answers to my simple prayers. I chose obedience over rebellion and discovered I now had the power to say no to sin. I learned to trust and walk with my Savior. My marriage was restored, and we now have three beautiful children. Praise God. Praise God, because in this, he gets all the glory. He changes our hearts so that it bears fruit for his glory. So may we treasure Jesus in our hearts so that by his power, we might reflect his beauty in our actions and in our words. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, you are truly a wonderful, beautiful treasure. And God, we, we know uh, that we often fall short of this. There are other things we love more than you. So we just pray in our hearts today even, would you change it so that we would love you more, we would desire you more, and in that love for you, we would love our neighbors. Would we bear good fruit for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.